Odd Trails is a true paranormal podcast that contains adult language and can be frightening for some. Listener discretion is advised. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. I am one of those people who have always wanted to see something paranormal, or at least inexplicable, while I'm awake, but have never had the privilege. I am sensitive to vibrations and energies in a general sense, and can often sense what others are feeling. I guess I'm a bit of an empath. My stories have transpired during dreams, and although they were supposedly just dreams, every ounce of my being knows I was visited by these loved ones in my sleep. When I was a little girl, I had a very close connection with my great-grandparents. My mother had me when she was 20. My grandmother had my mother at a young age, as did my great-grandmother. I am so very blessed to have memories growing up with my great-grandparents in their house in San Francisco. Plus, we all lived close to one another, so visits occurred frequently. Anyways, My great-grandparents babysat me when my mom was going to college, so I spent a lot of time with them when I was little. They were the adorable, happy old couple you might see walking down the street holding hands or lovingly giving each other shit. They even shared the same birthday, and they drove the coolest 1965 Teal Ford Rambler, which was promised to me in their will. When I was eight years old, my great-grandmother passed away and it was a very sad time for my family. Her daughter, my grandma, had an especially hard time with her death. She used to talk about how she was crying over the loss of her mother in her bedroom when she felt the bed dip down, like her mother sat down to comfort her. But those are her stories, which I will reserve for another time. Over the next few years, my great-grandfather's health deteriorated. He got cancer and would talk about joining his special gal soon. He ended up passing a few years later when I was 12. A couple days after his passing, I had an intense dream that still brings tears to my eyes. It was the type of dream that feels like reality long after it ends. I was at their house in their living room walking around by myself. I heard a honk outside so I made my way to the front door. I opened the front door and looked down the stairs to the street where I saw the Ford Rambler, teal and gleaming, stopped right there in the street. My great-grandmother was driving the car and my great-grandfather was in the passenger seat. I remember she was wearing her headscarf. They both smiled and waved to me and I smiled and waved back with tears in my eyes. My great-grandmother said, don't ever forget me and they drove away. 
As a kid, I was terrified of ghosts, premonitions, etc., but this dream didn't scare me. Instead, I was overwhelmed by a warm, calming sensation that can only be described as love and reassurance. I feel like they visited me in my sleep to assure me that they were indeed together and that they were okay. And, of course, to say goodbye and remind me to never forget them. I was such a big part of my great-grandmother's golden years, being the only great-grandchild, that I think she really feared me for getting her if I was too young when she died. So that was her way of maintaining that memory and connection with me. When I told my mom and grandma about it, they both had tears and my grandma said, Yep, that's exactly something she would have said to you. My next story occurred just under two years ago. My grandpa had some sudden, unexpected health issues and took a turn for the worse over the course of five months or so. The last couple of weeks, he was sick in the hospital, and I let life get in the way of visiting him. He kept asking my mom and grandma about why I hadn't visited, and they just told him I was busy with the kids. As a mother of three, working full-time, this was completely true, but I should have made the time. I think I subconsciously didn't want to see him so sick in the hospital, so I kept putting it off, thinking I would have more time. When my dad called me one morning to tell me that grandpa had passed away, it felt surreal. I felt like I had so much more time to plan that visit. I was immediately plagued with guilt and sorrow for not putting him first. A few nights after he passed, I was sleeping and I had another very intense, realistic dream. I was driving down the street I grew up on as a young girl. I heard a gathering outside of one house, so I pulled my minivan into the driveway and got out of the car. As I walked through the door, I heard my grandma's laughter and turned the corner into the living room to see my grandma, grandpa, parents, and oldest son hanging out in the living room. I was overcome with joy. I yelled, You're here! Crying, I ran up to my grandpa and hugged him, saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so, so sorry I didn't come visit. The smell of his cologne overpowered my senses, and I could actually feel his body and the stubble of his face as I hugged him. It was so real. He held onto my forearms and looked into my eyes and said, It's okay. I felt down to my very core that he was reassuring me that he knew my guilt and wanted me to understand his forgiveness. There was so much emotion behind those two simple words. I'd like to close these stories by stating that I don't have many vivid dreams, but to have dreams of loved ones recently passed and to remember every detail of the dream, down to the smell of cologne or sound of a classic car honk, to wake up feeling at peace. These are experiences I've treasured, and I hope I can continue to have dreams and connections with departed loved ones in the future. This story happened in the late 1980s when I was around 14 years old. 
and I had a group of friends that were two to three years older than me that I hung out with all the time back then. The boys drove classic muscle cars, and there were always three carloads of us running around together stirring up trouble. We thought we were serious badasses back then and would intentionally do scary or dangerous things to prove how brave we were to each other. Idiotic, I'm aware, but it was the 80s. We were all rebellious back then. I grew up in a suburb of Minneapolis, and there is a small cemetery that locals knew well. The front entrance of that cemetery was locked after business hours, but there was a back entrance that most people knew about that had no gates. You could just drive in at any time that you liked, and most of us did, usually in the middle of the night to just wander around the cemetery because we thought it was cool. In that small cemetery, just off one of the main paths, is a particular mausoleum. It looked like a little glass house, and although the doors were locked, you could see through the glass doors. There appeared to be a place for two crypts, one on each side, and the back wall had a large, beautiful stained glass window. The design was of a man. He wasn't exactly smiling, it was a bit more of a grin. I don't recall any others. I only remember that man. I can still picture him clearly to this day. We called him Smiling Jack. Or at least that's what everyone knew him as. The story I was told back then was that if you looked at Smiling Jack, and he actually smiled at you, you would die the next day. And of course, there were stories of a kid years prior that had come and looked at Smiling Jack, and he smiled widely. And the kid died in some weird but tragic way the next day. So of course, we went there multiple times in the middle of the night trying to see if he would smile at any of us. I knew quite a few teens that would go up there for the same reason. So this was not an unusual thing to do but only the bravest or craziest of us did it at night. One particular clear and beautiful summer night, all three carloads of us decided to go see Jack at around 2 a.m. As we had done many times before, we positioned our vehicles so that they were near each other with the headlights directly on the door of the mausoleum. We began to get out of our cars and head towards the doors. I recall that I wasn't even halfway to the door yet when I heard the people that had already made it to the doors talking. Is there someone in there? Did you see that? What was that? Before I could reach the doors, I heard a panicked yell. Somebody shouted, run. The people that had made it to the doors were already running for their lives towards the car. They were yelling at the rest of us that were standing there, confused. There's someone in there. Fucking run. Somebody yelled. I turned around and began running towards the car. As we were all piling into our cars, I distinctly remember one boy diving through an open car window to get in and that car peeling out to take off. Once in our car, I could see what appeared to be a person or a shape of a person standing outside now in front of the doors. They were just standing there watching us. I can still see that tall, dark figure standing there looking. As our vehicle began to back out, the figure began coming towards us. Now everyone was yelling and screaming, Go! Fucking floor it! It's coming! We were in the second or middle 
of the three cars. The first car had already peeled out, and we were now close behind them. I heard yelling from the third car, which was behind us, so I turned around and looked back. I could see their car. It was actually more to the side of us, and a little bit behind. And behind that was that person. They were following us, in a serious Michael Myers type of way. Where no matter how fast we drove, he literally kept pace with us. He followed us to the entrance of the cemetery, where we had come in. But then he was just gone. We were all screaming at the driver's floor at move. And we all followed each other to one of the friend's houses. We got out of the cars and were still obviously in hysterics, recalling what had just happened. The four people that had made it to the doors of the mausoleum said it took them a minute to realize someone was sitting inside the mausoleum on the crypt to the right. There was no face, but it was just a dark figure. The reason they noticed it is because it turned its head towards them. I asked if anyone remembered seeing the doors open. No one did. So then I asked, did that thing go through the glass door? Or did it open it? No one could recall the door opening or closing. The first boy to reach the door said that they tried the door and it was locked. This was something we always did. We always hoped we would find the door accidentally open so we could go inside. It was never unlocked, so I believed him. I don't remember going to see Smiling Jack at night after that incident again. In fact, I don't know that I ever went to see him at all. I don't think any of us ever did. We never spoke about that night again. So to Smiling Jack or whatever it was that came out to do God knows what to a group of teenagers, let's never meet again. Most of these occurrences took place when I was in grade school. I attended Longfellow Elementary in a historical part of Compton, California, next to what we call the farms. This place had tons of expansive homes and huge yards. It was like the suburbs in the hood. The families in that area had been there since Compton had become integrated. Then there was where I lived. I lived on Laurel Street most of my life. It was in a cul-de-sac that had an exit to the side street that would take you back out to Compton Boulevard, or the alley which I did not recommend then and don't recommend now. The block was divided in the middle by apartments my grandmother called the Shadows, I'm sure she meant Chateau, being that anything on the other side of the Shadows headed towards the Compton Courthouse was dangerous and off-limits. Many people lost their lives on that block before they even became adults. Everyone knew everyone, living or dead. It was that kind of block. My grandparents rented a modest three-bedroom home at the time that was illegally divided, and the people on the other side of the wall in my closet lived in the single, which would have made the fourth bedroom. Everyone on this part of the street were Hispanic working-class families who had just moved in. Our neighbors were friends with my grandmother, 
as were the people across the street and the people who lived behind us. My grandparents were very well known on that block. The home was the second to last house at the end of the block. It had a metal fence, and in the center of the yard stood a tall Chinese elm. The tree was planted by my grandparents. It was in memory of my uncle who was killed in his early 20s. He was a target for a rival gang, and he somehow managed to drive himself home before he collapsed on the rug at the entrance of the house. My grandmother mourned her son and eventually did everything in her power to remove the stain of blood he made when he collapsed on the carpet. Every time the carpet was replaced, the stain somehow kept coming back and making itself known in the form of a dark stain. They told my grandparents that if the tree blossomed and grew, it was an indication that my uncle was resting peacefully in the afterlife. It grew as tall as the stain grew dark until the carpet was never replaced again and a rug was placed over it. The front of the home had these huge sliding windows that looked out into the back of Compton High School and their storage facilities. We could see the old baseball dugouts and sometimes cross the street in the summertime to play in the green grass and run through the sprinklers. These windows were almost always closed as my grandmother did not like having them open for whatever reason. They had thick curtains always drawn tightly, morning or night. I recall on many occasions hearing someone walk back and forth in what I believe to be boots, cowboy boots, which is not out of the ordinary, but to happen at midnight every night at the same time was a cause for concern to nine-year-old me. Every night, back and forth, the tap-tap-tap of the boots. I never mentioned it to my grandma because I felt she wouldn't believe me. I also never bothered to look for fear of what I would see, or more importantly, the owner of the boots. My sister and I shared the back bedroom, which had those old-school windows that opened outward and had no screen. Our pit bull slept outside under our window in warm weather and inside with us when it was raining or cold. This particular night was hot and my sister and I agreed to leave the window open. We played under the window in our room with old Barbie dolls missing a heel or with clothes made of socks. I can't remember the exact details of what it was we were saying or what made-up Barbie scenario it was, but I do remember running as fast as I could out of that room with my sister when someone knocked on our window. It was a fierce rap, rap, rap. We dropped the dolls and ran to the living room where my grandma asked us why we were screaming. She sent one of my grandpa's friends to look around and see what it could have been. Nothing was out of the ordinary and she chalked it up to our imagination, of course. We moved out of that house when I turned 16 because the owners had sold the property and wanted the old tenants out, as per the deal. The block no longer has any original inhabitants living there, but I wonder if the taps, wraps, or stains remain.
I don't know exactly when the pictures came to be at our house, but it was as far back as I can remember. They hung in our living room, one on either side of the wall as you entered the kitchen. The pictures were of two Victorian-era women, both with fancy hats and white gloves on, but it was just the upper parts of their bodies. On the left was a redhead. She reminded me a lot of Lucille Ball, that old-time comedian. On the right was a brunette. In both pictures, the women stared straight ahead, gentle smiles on their faces, but their eyes followed you wherever you went in the room. Like I said, I don't remember when they came to be at our house, but my earliest recollection of them is when I was five or six years old. And though they seemed harmless enough to most people, the red-headed woman scared me. I would dream that she would be at the top of the stairs waiting for me, just standing there with this smile on her face. But in my dreams, that smile was evil. It was menacing. At some point, the dreams changed. Instead of her waiting at the top of the stairs, the red-headed woman would now enter my bedroom after I had gone to sleep. My younger brother and I shared a room for the longest time. My bed was right there when you entered the room, against the wall. His bed was along the side of the other wall, in the corner. In my dream, I would crawl into bed and face the wall. Then I would hear the bedroom door open. I would always close it when we went to bed, but someone would open it. I would turn to see who it was, and it was the red-headed woman from the picture. She would walk in and stand beside my bed looking down on me. She had that same evil smile on her face. In my dream, I'd try to scream, but nothing would come out. I'd wake up from this nightmare, heart pounding. I would cover my head with the blanket and try to fall asleep. I had this same dream almost every single night. When I was older, maybe 10 or 11 years old, my parents divorced, so we moved. The new house that my mom rented was laid out similarly to our old house, but she didn't put those pictures back in the living room. I didn't know where they were, and I really didn't care. I was just happy that I didn't have to see them anymore. One day after I went up the stairs to my room, I saw it. My mom's bedroom was off to the left once you got to the top of the stairs. She almost always kept her bedroom door closed, but on this day it was partially open. There on the wall above her bed was the picture of the red-headed woman, eyes seemingly looking at me in the hall. The other picture was there too, but from my vantage point, the redhead was the only one that I could see. The dreams continued for some time. I don't remember exactly when they stopped, though. My mom eventually was able to buy a house, so we moved again. I was in high school at that point. I didn't see the pictures anywhere in the new house, but by this time, I hadn't had any of those dreams for a while. A couple of years later, my mom, my brother, and I all took a trip to Hollywood, California, we did all of the touristy stuff, and we were having a blast. At the time, there was a huge farmer's market near where we were staying, so we decided to check it out. They had everything that you could imagine. At one of the tables, 
we were checking out some knickknacks, ashtrays, small framed pictures, things like that. And there among those framed pictures was the red-headed woman and the brunette. They caught me off guard. Some of those old fears came back and I could feel my heart now racing. But it was okay. They stayed there and the dreams thankfully did not return. Many years later, my brother and I were at my mom's house helping her clean out her basement. We had long since moved out and had our own families. As we worked, we would find some things from our childhood that would make us reminisce. Up until that point, I had never told anyone about the nightmares. But since we were talking about things from our childhood, I casually mentioned those two pictures, and how, once we had moved that last time, I never saw them again. He said that when the movers were unloading stuff at the new house, they dropped one of the pictures and broke it. My mom was going to keep just the one, but decided to get rid of it, since she wouldn't have a pair anymore. It was then that I told my brother about the dreams of the red-headed woman. He then tells me he had the same exact dreams, but of the brunette. He also had not told anyone about them. The hair stood up on the back of my neck hearing that. That was a long time ago. My mom died a couple of years ago. I'm 62 now. But even retelling this story here makes me a bit uneasy. So creepy pictures of the Victorian women. I don't ever want to see you again. I am the middle daughter of the youngest son in a family of nine. My grandma and grandpa were salt-of-the-earth sharecroppers that moved from Maryland to North Carolina in the 1950s. We used to be an extremely close-knit family, spending every weekend together in some form or fashion, whether it be church, dinners, breakfasts, or a quick hello. I'm even named after and bear an eerily close resemblance to my grandpa's mother. I loved my grandma so much and still think she's one of the best women to ever walk this earth. She unfortunately had a stroke when I was six, and my dad was in the hospital at all hours up until her passing. This was in 1988. No cell phones, no email, no texting. My dad had been at the hospital all day without any kind of check-in until he got home late in the evening. My mom, my youngest sister, and I gathered around him and my mom kept asking what happened, what's wrong. That's when I piped up in the most nonchalant way that grandma died. My dad looked at me like he had seen a ghost. There is absolutely no way at six without communication that I should have known that. It was just kind of always known in the family since then that I could see and sense things. Fast forward to 2011 and I'm pregnant with my youngest child. My dad had passed away the year before and me, my husband, and our son are living with my mom because I had a very high-risk pregnancy. My mom is a nurse for a primary group medical office and had gone to bed early. 
pregnancy had not helped my chronic insomnia at all, and I was still up around 11 p.m. Pregnancy also was not kind to my bladder, and I had to use the restroom. Being that I was sharing a bedroom with a tween boy that didn't understand the concept of replacing a toilet paper roll, before I could sit down, I saw I needed to replace the roll. We had gone through our supply in the guest bathroom we shared, and I went to quietly sneak into my mother's room and bathroom to grab a roll. Not wanting to wake her up, I slowly and quietly opened the door. Going down the dark hallway and into a very dark bedroom, I was trying to see the room to make sure I didn't stub my toe. Broken toes are something I'm kind of known for in the family. As my eyes are adjusting to the darkness, I see a tall, slender shadow of a man standing at the bottom of my mom's bed, looking down at her, sleeping. Now, I had two lines of thought. That could have been my grandpa, perhaps he also needed to get a roll of toilet paper. Or maybe we were going to have messy problems. I mentally tell this figure that I'm not there to mess with it, and to not mess with me. I grab the roll, walk back out quietly, and do my business. I then go to my husband and start with, I know you're not going to believe me, but... And then I told him what happened. I then start to worry that maybe it wasn't my grandfather and that I might need to go wake my mom to make sure she's not having an entity attack her. So I go back in, to which the figure is gone, and gently wake my mom up. I ask her if she's having any bad dreams or if she feels okay, and she tells me sleepily that she was fine. I brushed it off as maybe grandpa was just watching out for my mom and nothing more. He loved her very much and it wasn't anything I hadn't had experience with before. Jump to three days later and I'm sitting in the living room with my mom, crocheting a baby blanket for my little bean-to-be and my mom answers the phone to my youngest sister, crying so hard. My mom has the phone to her ear as she's looking at me in a horrified stare, very similar to my story before. She finishes the conversation with my sister, and I immediately start asking her what in the world had happened. She just stares at me with tears in her eyes and manages to get out. It wasn't my dad. It was Uncle Jay. My sister called to tell my mom that they had just found her uncle dead in his home. No one had seen him in three days and went to check up on him. Uncle Jay was a tall, slender man who was always very kind to my mom. We figure that he was trying to get in touch with someone to let them know he had a heart attack earlier in the day and died. It was very sad and I wish I had realized it was him that night to save his family from finding his body three days later that hot summer day. Wow, a spooky story ends up being a bit of a touching story there at the end. I think it was their uncle-in-law, Jay. Really interesting. And it looks like the author wanted to remain anonymous, but still, thank you so much for sending in that story. That was really touching. I like that one. Yeah, that was a good one. I really enjoyed reading that. And I hope your Uncle Jay is at peace. Yeah. Um, so Brandon, I had a dream about you the other night and I, I have so much to tell you. I'll try and keep it uh, as abridged as possible, but it, I think I think that I dreamed about you because you told me about your dream about me. I was about to say, I think I planted a seed in your subconscious there. You did. So I remember us always joking about 
the silly noise that my refrigerator makes when you press the button <laughs> yes, to turn yes. on the water dispenser. Do-do-do. Yep. Yeah, it's like do-do-do or something. Yeah, that's almost mm-hmm. what it is. It goes do-do-do, just like that. It's like a, mm-hmm. a crescendo that goes up. It's a very C major upbeat tune, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like the C chord, do-do-do. And mm-hmm. you would always laugh every time I would press it to get water. So I had this dream that you were staying with me and I heard that noise downstairs and it kept me up because it kept going off over and over again. So I walked downstairs and I find you not only getting water and pressing the button to turn the water on, but what you would do is you would press the button, you would get about a mouthful of water in your cup, you would drink it, swallow it, and then you would press the button again and you would do that for every (laughs) single gulp instead of filling up the cup. I just like the noise so much. What can I say? (laughs) It was like, do-do-do, 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 and you were just chugging water and you were staring at me while you were doing it. So I grabbed the cup out of your hand, (laughs) throw the water out, and I tell you to go to bed. (laughs) And you turn back to the machine or to the refrigerator and you press the button for ice and the, which goes it goes down yeah, yeah, it's it the goes opposite. down yeah yeah and you start getting ice and i'm like what the fuck are you doing and you're like i wanted ice and that's when i woke up well here's the thing i go downstairs and the next morning because i do this every morning i drink water as soon as i wake up because i always wake up super dehydrated and dry oh, yeah so i go down there and i press the button the tune is different i swear to god the tune is different it's not do-do-do I can't even describe what it's like now. It's like a do-do-do-do. It's like it's almost like a Nokia phone ring. Whoa. It has this weird tune to it that's not the same. Because you just got me. Like I legitimately just repeated it and it was do-do-do. It was the crescendo. It's, it's not, not that. It is not. Whoa. Whoa. whoa it's whoa. totally different. It's like its own tune. Anyway, this is the Mandela effect. We both remembered it completely different. And right now is the proof. Right now is the proof because you said it. And you did it perfectly mm-hmm. to the way that I remember and to the way that it was in the dream. Then when I wake up the next day and go down there, it's a completely different tune. And it's freaking me out, man. I don't like that. I don't like that. That's freaky. Who who knows if I even went to your house before? Who knows if I've ever visited at this point? Oh, my God. What timeline are we on, man? I think the third one. I thought you froze. I was looking at you in Zoom. I'm like, "Uh, are you still there? Did that just fall flat? No, no, no. I was just thinking, like I was zoning out thinking about how weird it was. Yeah, the Mandela effect is wild. Yeah, I actually had one recently, and I'm sure you can probably attest to this. Let me quiz you first. Okay. But what is the sentence that appears on the side mirrors in a vehicle? Objects in mirror may be closer than they appear. Thank you. It's not maybe. It's objects in mirror are closer than they appear. Now, that makes sense because it doesn't change. It's not like exactly. the distance in the mirror changes. Right. Depending right. on when you look at it. So it wouldn't be maybe. R makes sense. But I swear to God it was maybe. Exactly. And you know what? Even funnier, one of our favorite comedians in one of his stand-up routines, he mentions like some guy running up to their car with a knife because they like smashed his like side mirror of some dude's car or something like that. Mm-hmm. He comes running up to them on the freeway with, carrying a knife and all this shit. And he specifically repeats it. Objects in mirror may be closer than they appear. I'm like, I thought of that. And then I saw the special and I was having a moment and I wanted to see oh if you recalled God. it in that same way. Yeah. So here, okay. Okay. Here's proof of another one. The exact same story. Now, you probably know about the 
name of the children's book that has to do with bears, right? Yes. You know yes. about that one. So Stain you, versus Stein. Yeah. Okay, so I can't pull it on you, but I pulled it on my mom because I swear to God it was Berenstein, okay? Mm-hmm. I called my mom who does not use the internet. She has Facebook to getting to be in contact with family members and stuff. Other than that, does not wouldn't even know what the Mandela effect is. She's so out of touch. I call her and I ask her mom when as soon as this I found out about the Berenstain Berenstein thing. And if it, anybody listening doesn't know, there there was a child there's a children's book series from when we were kids way back in the 90s called the Berenstain Bears. Well, we all remember it as the Berenstein Bears. Everybody seems to remember it that way. I think I said Stein earlier. I, I missed Stein. Oh, like, Stein is fine. Stein or Stein. But it's Stein not is fine. Stain. Stain is wrong. Yeah, Stain is wrong. So our timeline that we remember growing up with was Stein or Stein. So I call my mom and I ask her, Hey, Mom, you remember that book series that I collected when I was a little kid about the bears? What was that called? And she goes, Oh, yeah, the Berensteins. She knew it before even being influenced by the internet with the theory. So she was a virgin ear to this dilemma that we're all facing, which is there's no way it was called the Berenstain Bears. And I understand that it was by Jan and whoever Berenstain, the people that wrote the books. Mm-hmm. But even though their last name was Berenstain, I swear to God they changed the name to Berenstein. And everybody remembers it this way, and my mom proved it. My mom proved it. She remembered it that way, and she has a really bad memory. And she immediately, she was like, yeah, Berenstein. I like, okay. So I go online, and I do as much searching as I can, and I did find some people posting pictures of VHS tapes that are titled Berenstein. Ooh, it's that's awkward. hard to come by. That's hard to come by. Very hard. My thing... I don't mean to get off track here, but sure. my, my whole thing is uh, Chick-fil-A. How do you spell the chick in Chick-fil-A? C-H-I-C? Exactly. That's what I thought. Right. But it's C-K. Or C-H-I-C-K? Yes. That's the supposedly correct way. So it's just regular chick? It's regular not a, chick? It's not just a C? Yeah, it's not just a C. And I can't find any written proof of it just being a C. So the fact that you got those VHS tapes showing yeah. the Stein or Steen, that says a lot. At least we got something to hold on to. Yeah, and there are multiple pictures of it. People have taken pictures of this single VHS tape that existed. It's almost like it slipped through the cracks. There's a name for that. It's something that slips through the cracks of the Mandela effect. There's, There are some where you can prove that, oh, this makes sense why we thought it was something different. There's the the magic mirror on the wall. You know that you know about that one? Yeah. Okay, so in Snow White the movie, she doesn't say mirror mirror on the wall. She says magic mirror on the wall. Mhm. Now, I remember that because I'm a Disney fanatic. I remember it as magic mirror. Exactly. But I, I can understand why people think it's mirror mirror because the original Brothers Grimm book says mirror mirror, not magic mirror. And so every other for the most part, every other uh, interpretation of it, whether it be a TV show, a movie, or a, a parody of the movie or anything, usually say Mirror Mirror because mm-hmm. they're getting their reference from the book. So that's something where it's like, oh, that makes sense. It's a little confusing because there are two different sources. So a lot of people thought Mirror Mirror because whenever anybody's making fun of Snow White or copying Snow White, they go Mirror Mirror. 
Yeah, but, it's kind of similar to like the Luke, I am your father. No yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but same thing. Yeah. Yeah, because everybody says Luke, I am your, or uh, Luke, I am your father, even right. though that's not how he says it. Mm-hmm. And there's another one like this where, and it, it, it is funny because people believe this and think this. I think it's because of the Golden Girls clip that people are sharing right now of one of the characters being on the phone getting a call from the publisher's clearinghouse saying that Ed McMahon was going to come and bring them a check because they won the sweepstakes. So everyone who heard about this Mandela effect all remember it as Ed McMahon being the spokesperson for the publisher's clearinghouse. You know, they would show up with the giant check in the commercials. Mm -hmm. I love when that happens to me. Apparently he didn't do that. He was a spokesperson for the American Family Publishers, not the Publishers Clearinghouse. So that's another one where it could easily get confused. But I mean, I swear to God, I remember Ed McMahon. You've sworn to God three times this episode, so I hope you're being sincere. I'm being very sincere. Okay, I think good. The, and the thing is, I think God knows about this. I think he's in on this. <laughs> these these old alternate timelines. He's got to yeah. know. So yeah, that's. That's my take on the Mandela effect. There are some that are explainable, and then there are some... I'm waiting for the explanation, but the Berenstein Bears, the Chick-fil-A... What else do we have? There was another one. The The mirror. Objects in the mirror. Objects in the mirror, and the fucking beeps on the refrigerator, they're completely different than the way that we remembered them. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, my mom confirmed the Berenstein Bear thing, so, man... Mandela effect is wild. And this all came from my dream, huh? Yeah, that's wild. (laughs) I think we should just talk about dreams every episode to kind of like parlay into the upcoming Dream Basement podcast. I agree. Well, I am an avid dreamer. I log them all and I have Mm -hmm. all the lucid dreams and all that crap. I need to get back into it. I I take melatonin all the time just so I can have some extreme vivid dreams. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. I love taking melatonin to get some wild dreams. The thing is, I have wild dreams and I remember them when I wake up and I'm too lazy to log them and then I forget them. And then they just end up being something uh, that passes by, something I forget about and I'll never remember again. But then there are some days when I'm not too lazy and I'll log the dream and then I'll go back and I'll read them and I'll be like, wow, I forgot all about this. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad I logged this because now I can go back to this memory and I can read this. And now when I and every time I do that, I end up having a lucid dream that night because of that, because I went back and I read my dreams and it reminded me while I'm sleeping of these dream triggers and things. So, yeah, let's talk about dreams more. They're fucking cool. Yeah, they may not be paranormal per se, but you know what? That's what this is all about. Odd shit. So let's do it. Yeah, I think they're paranormal because they start, like I said, they start bleeding into lucid dreaming and then that could be connected to out-of-body experiences. That is true. It's a whole world of shit we can get into. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, thanks everyone for listening. This week you have heard Family Visits by Jess, Smiling Jack by Loves Harleys, Laurel Street by Monica, Creepy Pictures by Sheets Lady, and finally, Uncle Jay by a listener that asked to remain anonymous. Don't forget, we're going to be at the Midsummer Scream Horror Convention at the Long Beach Convention Center on July 30th. You can get your tickets today at the links in the show notes. And don't forget, 
If you want to get access to the ad-free versions of all of these episodes at a higher bit rate, so you can have the best listening experience possible, head over to patreon.com forward slash odd trails and sign up to support the show today. And if you have like your own Mandela effect of sorts, let us know. You can either send it into stories at oddtrails.com or hit us up on Instagram at oddtrailspodcast. Look forward to hearing from you. See you next time. Stay safe. Peace out.